0: guys can have a seat walking through Ephesians there are times that just the Lord says this is a text for the Wednesday night group And that scene and just a little more instruction a little more teaching in the preaching and uh, and then there's just times where the Lord just says man this is a word that I've got for just everyone who can make it Uh, It seems a little more regularly to the Sundays, and yet sometimes it's just, it's tough figuring out just what exactly the text is that the Lord has, and so as you might have noticed as I was reading, I've studied for that whole section we've read, but let's be real, probably only make it to chapter 5 today if you know me. The section that we read, we we actually looked at verses 17 through 24 on a Wednesday night. We called that study a new set of clothes. We've been given a new set of clothes. There's a new man that we've been given to put on as we have taken off the old, the corrupt, the decaying natural man. We've been given a new man as we as Christians have been born again set free indeed, given a new nature, given a new mind, given a new heart that now is no longer stone cold, but alive and beating and knows God and can be known by God. And such a wonderful news to us brings about a change in our lives. The Apostle Paul is going on in the book of Ephesians right now to describe this new standard of living for this new society of God's people. As we studied, I think it was in chapter 2, this this new society. He's uh, made one new man out of Jews who would become Christians and Gentiles who would become Christians. They are one new man or one new woman, if you will. We are all actually part of this society of Christians or saints Or the holy people of God. And as the holy people of God, Paul tells us here that we must cultivate purity in our lives. He said back in verse 17, I say it and I testify in the Lord. He said it back in chapter 4, verse 1, I beg you to walk worthy of this calling. He's begging us. He's testifying. Those two verses, 1 and 17, show us the authority that he has to do so. He's a prisoner for Jesus. He was in jail when he wrote this. He's raising his hand in testimony before the Lord saying, This is how we should live now, saints. Cultivating purity. Purity is indispensable as a characteristic of God's people. It's just as important as the unity that we spent two weeks just driving home from the pulpit. And that Wednesday night, two weeks ago, we looked at verses 17 through 24, and we looked at the doctrinal basis for this new life. Those verses that we started out reading as we were standing today talk about just our Our minds that were once darkened, we didn't have understanding, we were separated from a life of God, we were ignorant, there was blindness in our hearts, and all sorts of carnality and impurity and unholiness, it has a starting point in what do we know of God? That's why the gospel's got to be preached out there to this world, because they don't know God, they don't know Jesus. How can they believe on him in whom they've never heard? And Paul preaches to the Athenian people in Acts chapter 17 that truly those times of ignorance, God has overlooked, but now there's no excuse because the message is getting out there and now he calls men everywhere to repent of that blindness and that ignorance and that hardness of heart because he's appointed a day that he will judge men by the man Jesus Christ, who he's risen from the dead. There was a point, and for some of you, you come here today and and that still is the point. You are not a Christian, you are not a saint, you are not a holy person of God. You came in those doors and you're still the natural man. You're a sinner, you're alienated from God by your sin, you've fallen short of the good standards of God in his glory that's bad news I don't I don't mean to offend but that is offensive that's a confrontation to who you are but the good news is he has brought you in here today to hear that that can be changed because of Jesus who loves you you can be made a new creation you walk through those doors unknowing having a hard heart and a hard dark mind There was a futility and a worthlessness to your mind. And guess what? The more you keep walking in darkness, the more futile your mind will get. You will begin to do things you never thought you'd do, go places you never thought you'd go, stay there longer than you ever thought you'd stay, and you'll pay a price greater than you ever thought you'd pay. It will get worse and worse. Just read Romans chapter 1. But by his grace today, he's come to speak into your heart the good word of truth. That if you will receive it today and believe it today, your mind will be illuminated by the spirit of God. You once would have been past feeling, verse 19 says, given over. In fact, it's this, the language is that you actually betrayed yourself and gave yourself over. You are like a Benedict Arnold, giving yourself over as a traitor to yourself, giving yourself over to lewdness and lust and uncleanness and greediness. But that's not the message of Jesus, Paul says. There's a a message of Jesus that he wants to teach you today and he wants you to learn from him today. He wants you to learn him today. He's the substance of the message, he's the preacher of the message, he is the message. He's preaching it, he wants you to hear him. He's it. He wants you to know him. That's what verse 21 tells us. And today as the word of God, that's what we call the Bible, we call it the word of God. God has breathed out his word to you and he's speaking it today as we read the Bible. He wants to renew your mind as the word of God goes forth. And as your mind is renewed, as you're conveyed out of darkness, conveyed out of um, futility of mind, conveyed out of a dark understanding, conveyed out of an alienation from the life of God, you're conveyed into a renewed mind. No longer ignorant. You're conveyed from darkness into light. You're conveyed from a place of being an old man, natural man, to a new man, filled with the Spirit of God. And when that happens, if you would say, and maybe, maybe even right now you just said, I just think the Lord has just taken me from there to here. I'm, I'm receiving the words that you're saying, Rory, and he's taken me, conveying me out of that, and bringing me into this in Jesus then there's a change that will take place. Verse 25 gets into it. There's now a practical outworking in our everyday behavior of such a transformation. Our behavior changes, verse 25 says. As it says, therefore, putting away lying, let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor for we are members of one another. And so there's a theme here of an integration of the Christian experience. There is what we were into now what we are. And how we believe into how we behave. Okay, remember what we believe, we just read verses 17 through 24. We had a dark understanding. We Uh, had futility and worthlessness of mind verses 17 and 18 but now that we believe the gospel and what Jesus has done for us as we've learned Christ from Christ by Christ of Christ verses 20 and 21 right belief leads to right behavior those who believe in Jesus Obey Jesus. Right belief leads to right behavior. Good conduct arises from good doctrine. And so as we love the scriptures, the word of God, we love to come and read. Let us not just learn for head knowledge. But let us learn Jesus, these which testify of him, and let's let him transform us. And one of the first things that Paul comes to Paul's mind when he talks about this new behavior coming from a new belief is that no longer are we to be lying to one another. This new behavior that we have is to be completely consistent with the kind of person we've become. Paul calls us saints. That doesn't mean you got a halo around your head and you're some sort of like, you know, or something like that. But it does mean that there will be new life, new living, new behavior, new conduct. It's been said that belief and behavior dovetail into one another. They dovetail into one another. And all of these examples that Paul is going to give us, they're examples that concern our relationships to one another. Put away lying. Put away lying. It's been written of for hundreds of years that a universal sin among the pagan worlds as mission advancement has gone forth, a universal sin is that these pagans are absolute liars. You can't believe them even if they swear an oath. You, you can trust them as far as you can throw them. And just reading from a missionary hundreds of years ago, ancient pagans universally practice this vice of lying. One man said, I would not believe a Hindu at his oath after spending much time in India. He wrote, Where there is the slightest temptation to falsehood, they practice it without remorse. But let's not be too hard on the pagan, shall we? Let's be honest about our little white lies our half-truths or our silences in times when we should be speaking. We should be telling things that we know we should not be leaving out. These little half-truths, white lies, and silences in the wrong places a lack of care for the truth, will rob our church of her effectiveness. When the Lord has such great, powerful plans for us. In Isaiah, the Lord says, surely they are my people, my children, who will not lie. But Timothy is told of the pagan men who speak lies in hypocrisy, having their own consciences seared with a hot iron. That the Holy Spirit would work through our new belief system in the gospel, a care for the truth. A care for the truth. My wife has a care for the truth. And she just pointed out to me, just, you know, Roy. there's just things that you do that are just, you're just not saying it all the way that it should be so that everybody knows that this is what time you're going to get somewhere and this is how long it's going to take and, you know, just telling Laney what time I'll be back after the men's retreat and just trying to water it down a little bit so she won't be upset, you know, as I'm leaving and Lindsay's like, that's just going to make it worse tomorrow when you're not here at that time. And so just go ahead and tell her you're not going to be home till after dinner. And Don't say after lunch when you know it's not after lunch, it's after dinner because after lunch comes and she, you know, just it's just not true. Of course, I loved hearing that as I was walking out the door to the men's retreat. <laughs> Things went well. I didn't have to drive two blocks before Russell prayed for me and made me turn around and go back and repent to my wife. None of that happened. <clears throat> but, you know, I remember specifically a sermon by Alistair Begg where he just said, do you not have a care for the truth? When you tell a story and the dog was in the backyard, not the front yard, it doesn't matter except that it's the truth. Give us a care for the truth after dinner, not after lunch. Don't leave things out. Lord, let us be effective. Let each one of us speak the truth to our neighbor, for we are members of one another. And so Paul takes it from being neighbors, which is important to be truthful, to the fact as he gets into some church ecclesiology here, that we're actually members of one another. It goes deeper than just a neighborly living by one another, to that we are actually part of one another. And so brothers ought not lie to one another. Once again, going to, uh, to practice trekking at the stadium and running late. Yes, I had a meeting, but Lindsay also had two French dips prepared for me at the table that I slammed down as fast as I could and ended up being 10, 15 minutes late. I texted the guys, I had a meeting, I'm running late. And then saying to them, I can't lie to you guys, I had two French dips and that's why I'm running late. (laughs) Which showed itself later on the stairs as I wanted to throw up all over Crook County High School bleachers. And just the Lord was convicting me driving down. It wasn't because of a meeting that you were late. It was because you decided to stay in the warmth of your home with your family and eat that delicious food while your brother stood out. I'm sorry guys. (laughs) A lie is a stab into the very vitals of the body of Christ. Let's not lie to one another. We're members of one another. The Phillips translation says, For we are not separate units, but intimately related to each other in Christ. Spurgeon says, Then why would we lie to one another? Should one hand try to deceive the other hand? It's just a silly thought. Should the eye mislead the foot? Think of what would happen. Surely the union of one member with all the other members should ensure its truthfulness. Albert Barnes, who I'm getting to love from the 1850s, Princeton Theological Seminary, no professing Christian can do any good who has not an unpeachable character for integrity and truth. That's why Paul says for one of the first things to these people being born out of paganism, who in a sense one guy put, are being given a conscience for the first time. That conscience that had been seared with a hot iron is having the callus peeled off of it. And they're given a conscience and they're told, don't lie to each other anymore. I mean, think of one of the most childish sins of like getting the soap in your mouth. I had a friend in high school, 18 years old, I was a sophomore, he was a senior, and I showed up to, uh, to school one day, and he was just mad, I was like, man, why are you so mad, what, what's wrong with you, and he's like, I got soap in my teeth, pff, pff. I'm like, why do you have soap in your teeth, because my mom washed my mouth out with soap, he was 18 years old, and mom just full on shoved the bar in there and made him bite on it, bite on it, bite on it, bite on it. Okay, it was me. No, I'm kidding, it wasn't. But Lord, wash our mouth out with soap and wash our hearts with pure water. Let us be that people, zealous for good works. Verse 26, he moves on to another vice that has to do with personal relationships. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath. The literal translation is, be very angry, but do not sin. Be slow to wrath, the scripture tells us, and be slow to anger. It's good to be slow to anger. It's good to be slow to wrath. In fact, we have no place for wrath in our daily walks with one another. Slow to anger, and yet there's times where anger is necessary. You read the Old Testament, you read of the stallion Phineas, who's there standing next to the tabernacle of meeting when the, when the Midianites come and they're just having sexual immorality with the children of Israel. And one man goes with this harlot into his tent in front of the tabernacle of meeting Moses and Aaron just watch it right there. And they go into the tent to practice immorality and Phineas grabs a javelin walks in the tent and thrusts them both through in the act. It was a holy anger that led Phineas to that. As Jesus was very angry with the usury and thievery of the Jews, turning over the tables, making a public scene. As William Wilberforce was angry, in such a way that he led to the transformation of a nation where Britain would get rid of the horrible practice of slavery. It was that type of anger in William Wilberforce, in Jesus, and in Phineas that brought about repentance and revival. Spurgeon says, if you must be angry, and you must sometimes, take care that you do not sin when you're angry. It is rather a difficult thing to be angry and not to sin. Yet if a man were to see sin and not be angry with it, he would sin through not being angry. If we are only angry in a right spirit with a wrong thing, we shall manage to obey the instruction of the apostle, be angry and do not sin. Be angry in a right manner at the wrong thing. And in that, do not let the sun go down on your wrath. Do not let the sun set on your anger. Is there not one of us who had a wise old grandpa or a wise father? I remember riding with my grandpa just before he died. One of my heroes. And riding with him out to feed the horses and just saying, just grandpa, speak into my life right now. Just speak into my life. Speak wisdom. All that you've known from these 85 years. Just speak, speak, speak. And what do you think he said to me? Son, don't let the sun go down on your anger. Wisdom from an 85-year-old. Never let your anger outlive the day. It seems that Paul is using a story of the Pythagoreans who had a binding contract among themselves that if there were any differences They were to give one another a token of reconciliation before the sun went down. Just, still, I'm just disgruntled. There's something unsettling. And you know what? I've just got to send you a text of love. You know what? I've just got to leave a little thing on your doorstep. Ring the doorbell, light it on fire, and run away. No, I'm kidding. That's something else. (laughs) But if you got that from me, you know, oh, he's back at it again, you know. A token of reconciliation. Barnes again said, do not cherish anger. Do not sleep upon it. Do not harbor a purpose of revenge. And do not cherish ill will towards a brother. When the sun sets on a man's anger, he may be sure it is wrong. The meaning of the whole of this verse then is if you be angry, which may be the case and which may be unavoidable see that the sudden excitement does not become sin do not let it overleap its proper bounds do not cherish it, do not let let it remain in your bosom even to the setting of the sun though the sun be sinking in the west let not the passion linger in the bosom but let his last rays find you always peaceful and calm The righteous anger of Jesus looked around and with anger was grieved at the hardness of heart. So righteous anger is seeing the heart issue and being grieved with it. Verse 27 says, nor give place to the devil. Don't allow possibility for the devil to have a foothold or a stronghold. Satan would have you take every possibility and persuade you to cherish any unkind and angry feelings and resentment. The heart is deceitful, desperately wicked, and it seems even more so when we're trying to protect ourselves and vindicate ourselves from a damaged reputation. Man, that's when just the when the lion comes out. Don't give place for the wicked one don't harbor malice in your heart you're inviting the devil to come in don't keep a place ready for him i like what the phillips translation said and many times today you'll hear it if you are angry be sure it's not out of a wounded pride or bad temper never go to bed angry don't give the devil that sort of foothold Verse 28, let him who stole steal no longer, but rather let him labor working with his hands what is good, that he may have something to give him who has need. Isn't this an awesome verse? It like, it's almost just like hope kind of brought into like, you know, uh, just some, some deep instruction. And then there's this, hey, you stole, now you steal no longer hey, you once were a taker from your neighbor, now you are a contributor of good. There is gospel redemption and transformation that takes place in our hearts. You once were a liar, now speak truth to your neighbor. You once were a thief, taking and consuming, and now, that was the old man, and now in the new man, you are a giver, you're wanting to give what is good. In fact, How do you give what is good except there's been such a transformation in your life that you're actually working now. You're laboring now so that you're you're productive and you're able to give out now. To buy coats for people, to buy food for people, to give rides to people, to provide places to live for people. To send out missionaries so that gospel advancement can take place. You're now a giver because you've become part of the family of the greatest giver of all. Jesus says, bear fruits worthy of repentance. In Luke chapter 3, verse 10, people came and asked him and say, so then what should we do? We're supposed to bear fruits worthy of repentance? What does that look like in my life, Jesus? He answers and said to them, he who has two tunics Let him give to one who has none. He who has food, let him do likewise. And then the tax collectors came. These guys were notorious crooks back then. Okay, thank you, Shannon. (laughs) Tax collectors came and they were baptized and they said, teacher, what shall we do? And he said to them, collect no more than what's appointed for you. Soldiers said, what should we do? And he says, don't intimidate anyone. And then later on in Luke, you've got one of those tax collectors. Maybe he had heard that message. You don't take any more than what's appointed to you. His name was Zacchaeus, the wee little man. You know the song and you know the story. Zacchaeus, the wee little man, meets with the Lord and stands and says to the Lord, look, Lord, I give half of my goods to the poor. And if I've taken from anyone by false accusation, I restore fourfold. That's repentance. That's new life in Jesus. That's a new life of someone who Jesus pursues. Jesus, in his foreknowledge, goes after. Jesus elects. Jesus goes through the crowd, and there's a wee little man that no one one would know he was there. And he wanted to see Jesus, so he climbs up in a sycamore tree. And Jesus pursued after that little nobody tax collector that everybody hated. And he says, come down. Or as the kids say, Zacchaeus, you come down. For some reason, Jesus is really mad when the kids sing the song. For I'm going to your house today. I'm going to dine with you. I'm going to eat with you. And a life that has had Jesus say, you come down. You bow down. I'm pursuing you. How can we not but say, look at all this junk in my life, Lord. I turned from it. If I've stolen from anybody, I'm going to restore it fourfold. And don't act like this isn't something relevant to us today. There are so many different ways that we steal. There are ways that we steal and no one knows about it. I I went to a, a court case with somebody at the courthouse a couple years ago. And you kind of have to sit through multiple little hearings to finally hear uh, who you're with. And so many people that were there were there for stealing things. You know, these are people in scrubs. These are people in uniforms. These are people with jobs, apparently. And yet, you know, there they were with the, the chapstick and the lip balm and the this and the that and the things that they stole. And as they gave their defense before the judge, it's everyone else's fault in their life but their own that they got caught five-finger discounting it. That's the old man. The new man puts away stealing as they've put away lying. And now they work. The gospel brings about productivity in our lives. And we work with a purpose for now doing good in this world. Shining the light of Jesus in this world. If you used to be a thief, you must not only give up stealing, Philip says, but you must learn to make an honest living so that you can give to those in need. You know, throughout the scriptures, we have things like flee sexual immorality. But it doesn't end there. Then the verse goes on to say, and pursue righteousness. You want to live a sexually pure life? Then pursue after righteousness. Stop stealing and get a job. Work with your hands. Even Paul in his ministry said, I just don't ever want to be accused of stealing. I'm going to work. I've got a, I've got a vocation. I've got a job. Christianity promotes industry. And to talk of a lazy Christian, it's been said, is to talk of burning water or freezing rain. A couple hundred years ago, they didn't know that it, there has, it is actually freezing rain. <laughs> Do your research, Barnes. Verse 29, let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth. New life in Jesus. See, back with the old man, you can go back to your verse. Verse 17, back in the old man, you walked with the Gentiles. Back in the old man, you had futility of mind. Back in the old man, verse 18, your understanding was darkened. You had a separation from the life of God. You were ignorant. That was the old man. That's when it was okay to speak rotten, worthless words. But now with the new man, new words, the end of verse 29... Those things that are good for necessary edification. Now the words that we speak were intentional about building people up with our words. How is this going to build my brother or my sister up? When I say it, when I post it? when I shout it, does it build up? Or is there evidence of futile mind? Again, with Barnes, this is hardcore. This is convicting to then have to get up and teach it. A Christian should be pure with his conversation. Let no corrupt word come out of your mouth. Rory. His master was pure. His God is pure. The heaven to which he goes is pure. The religion by which he professes is pure. Never should he indulge himself in an obscene illusion. I laugh because here we are, minding our own business in discipleship group, and Dustin just lets slip... No, we just, we just missaid a word and it came out wrong and then we all just started laughing because it, it was a total accident, but it was so in our face that we couldn't help laugh and then bring it up every few days. Like, remember when you said that at core group? <laughs> Dustin, no, I'm kidding. What? Dustin's not the one that kept bringing it up, it was me. But we ought to be so cautious. In our obscene illusions. Never should we retail anecdotes of an obscene character, Barnes says. Or smile when they are retailed by others. Never should he indulge in a jest having a double meaning. Never should he listen to a song of this character. Look down in verse 4 of chapter 5. Neither filthiness, nor foolish talking, nor coarse jesting, which is not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. Forgive me as I go down there, because I want to I get, we're not going to make it there today, but, what was that, verse 3, verse 4? This filthiness, it means obscenity, indecent behavior, filthy talk. This is locker room talk. And I think it's next week we'll get into immorality of all different sorts, but it's right here, and and I come here because that's where he was in chapter 4. He goes from immorality to vulgarity. Just, saints should not have vulgar speech. It's been said, coarse jesting is the cheapest form of wit. And who doesn't love a good comedian these days? We love the comedians. And yet we know those ones that can't go a sentence without the foul word. It's not even funny. In fact, it's really cool because... The Comedy Central did a last comic standing bend. And the guy who won it, I think it was two years ago or three years ago, was a Christian. And my friends were there watching this. And from Central Oregon, all of these comedians coming, bringing their best joke. And they were foul. And the language was just repulsive. So much so that everyone in the room sensed it. This is just diarrhea of the mouth going on in this stadium or this auditorium, this this, whatever you would call that, theater. And yet when this man got up and he spoke humor with purity, it was a fresh breath to the room and he ended up taking the crown. We don't need that coarse jesting. It's the cheapest form of wit. It's a dirty mind expressing itself in dirty conversation. Elsewhere, we're to put off filthy language coming out of our mouth, Colossians 3. Matthew tells us, Jesus tells us in Matthew, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. A good man, out of the good treasure of his heart, he brings forth good things. Those good things that are necessary for edification, for building one another up. But an evil man out of the evil treasure brings forth evil things. And then Jesus says, I say to you that for every idle word men may speak, they will give an account for it in the day of judgment. So think of those words, guys, at the work site. Think of the times when there's coarse jesting and foolish talking. Foolish talking. In the Greek, it's morologia. Fool in the Greek is moranos. It's talking of the morons. The New American Standard Bible says it's silly talk. That's a Bible for you to read. (laughs) Silly talk. And you guys know this guy, right? I mean, I have a hard time being serious for very long. That's probably not a good thing. But Lord, keep my silly talk from becoming coarse talk. From becoming foolish talk. Moranos talk. The heart of the fools proclaims foolishness, the Proverbs tell us. He goes on to actually name it there in verse 4, coarse jesting, vulgar speech, crude joking. And notice he says, which are not fitting. It's not proper, it's out of place. One translation, it's entirely out of place. One translation says, coarse jesting, things which are not convenient. It's inconvenient to take that path. As we go back to chapter 4, and so he's, he's dealt with our, our truthfulness in verse 25. He's dealt with our anger. In verse 26, he's dealt with our thievery in verse 28. He's dealt with our speech in verse 29 and down into um, verse 4 of chapter 5. Verse 30, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Do not make God Sad. Part of the motivation for our holiness and our purity is remembering that we've been sealed with the Holy Spirit. We've been indwelt with the Holy Spirit. Where we go, God goes. It's a truth. And so in our lying and immorality and anger and all of those things are those things that the Holy Spirit of God wants to stick around for and be a part of. Where is he grieved? You know, God is a God that gets grieved. Right before the flood of Noah, the Lord looked around and he saw that the wickedness of man was great on the earth and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart were only evil continually. And it says, and the Lord was sorry he made man on the earth and he was grieved in his heart. When Israel provoked God in the desert, Psalm 78 tells us that they grieved him in the desert, turning after other gods, not trusting him after he was faithful to bring them out of Egypt and through the Red Sea, provide manna in the wilderness and water in the wilderness. They just kept resisting God's love and his provision and his grace and turning to idols. Grieving him in the desert. Paul tells Uh, the Thessalonian church, do not quench the Holy Spirit. Oh, the Holy Spirit wants to flow through our church like rivers and torrents of living water, the gushing hose. Don't quench the Holy Spirit. Don't stop him up with our continued lying, anger, stealing, corruption. Don't grieve him, don't quench him. One man said, do not act toward the Holy Spirit in a manner which would produce pain in the bosom of a friend who loves you. He's a friend who loves you. Don't spitefully, willfully act in such a way that would grieve him and stop him moving and flowing in your life. You've been sealed by him for the day of redemption. Verse 30 says, what grace has been given to us earlier on in the redemptive indicatives. Uh, he says that, uh, it's in chapter 1, verse 13 at the end. You were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance. That is good news, guys. That speaks of our security in our salvation. The Holy Spirit given, sealing us up tight. No one can snatch us out of his hand. That's good news. So don't keep sinning. That's grievous to the one that has sealed you. That is marking your security. Phillips, never hurt the Holy Spirit. He is, remember, the personal pledge of your eventual full redemption. Don't hurt him. He's the badge. He's the pledge. He's your guarantee. You know, that's that's motivation for us. In these sins here that are listed that we're called out of in repentance. And then next week, we're going to get into other things like fornication, sexual immorality, uncleanness, and lust, and just all kinds of immoral things like that. And you know, in 1 Thessalonians 4, it says, You want to know the will of God? It's that you're set apart from the world. Your sanctification. That you abstain from sexual immorality. That's the will of God. What's the will of God for my life? That you be pure. That's his will. That's, that's, part, of the, that's part of the cherry on top of the Sunday of the ice cream of redemption. Is that you have a new life. Of purity and it goes on to say that every one of you know how to possess your own vessel in purity not in passion of lust like the Gentiles who don't even know God but then he says if anyone rejects this God doesn't want me to be sexually pure I got this and this excuse and this excuse. If you reject this truth, then you are not rejecting man, but God. And then it says, who has also given us his Holy Spirit. So motivation for pure hearts, pure minds, pure bodies is the Holy Spirit that's been given to us. We don't want to quench him. We don't want to grieve him. And we don't want to reject him. And so as the word of God washes over us today, revealing the thoughts and intents of this man's heart and your hearts as well. Let's repent. Let's walk in repentance. Verse 31, let's let. Let's let something happen. Let's let all bitterness, wrath, anger clamor evil speaking be put away with you with all malice you know you can tell a bitter man when you listen to him talk or a bitter woman you can tell a man of wrath fury and intense desire and outbursts that just come out of him A man of anger who just is about revenge and punishment. A man of clamor who shouts and is noisy and uses high words like someone would use in a brawl is what the language speaks of. Let's just let those things be put away from us. The Lord wants to do it. It's a fruit of the Holy Spirit. So let's let the Holy Spirit put those things off of us. And verse 32, in closing, worship team, come on up. Be kind to one another. It's just the opposite of those things. It's the opposite of bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking. Those are things that will ruin a church's effectiveness. Because of such a great gospel that Paul has written in chapters 1 through 3. Be kind to one another. Be tender hearted. Be good and benevolent to one another. Be compassionate to one another. My wife is so compassionate. I mean, certainly when there's a news story that comes on of little children being hurt or harmed, I mean, her heart is broken. But if we're even watching Pete's Dragon and eating pizza... And you're like, there's going to be a good part of the story. There's a dragon that's going to come and let him fly on his back, you know. Um, she's just broken hearted for the little boy on Pete's dragon. You know when girls do that? Aww. That's my wife. Tender hearted. Guys, let's be tender hearted. Let's hear from one another the, ah. Guys. Let's forgive one another. And what's special about this word, forgive one another, flip it around backwards. I'm not trying to be cheesy. This is literally the translation of forgive. It's give for one another. Give for one another. That's what forgiveness is. It's freely canceling out a debt and handing it over into custody is what the language means. And what is our example? Even as Christ, rather even as God in Christ forgave you. The gospel is the good news of forgiveness. Many parables and stories in the gospel accounts speak to us about those who have been forgiven much end up loving much. Those who are forgiven much, they can't help but turn back around and just give forgiveness back out and those who refuse to forgive, refuse to cancel out debt and instead choose to keep bitterness and malice and just this anger just burning up within them, Jesus tells us in Matthew 18, a great parable of it they will not be forgiven themselves in fact it's evidence that they've never been forgiven So let me close and why don't you guys start strumming? Because that just tells me, shut up, Rory. (laughs) Don't say shut up. Let a man recollect his own sins and follies. So go ahead, do that. Think about your sin, think about your error, think about the ways that you have failed the Lord and fallen short of his glory. And then think about how you failed those around you, failed your family, fallen short, messed up, dropped the ball. Recollect your own sin and folly. Let him look over his life and see how often he's offended God. Let him remember that all has been forgiven. And then, fresh with this feeling, Let him go and meet an offending brother and say, My brother, I forgive you. I do it frankly, fully, wholly. So Christ has forgiven me. So I forgive you. The offense shall be no more remembered, it shall not be referred to in our contact to harrow up your feelings. It shall not diminish my love for you. It shall not prevent my uniting with you and doing good. Christ treats me, a poor sinner, as a friend. And so I will treat you. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God and Christ forgave you. Let's just move to prayer. Lord, we remember our days before you. Dark days. Selfish days. Corrupt days. We remember the death that they brought. We remember having no relationship with you. Those ties had been severed just because of our wicked hearts. For some, they don't have to remember back very far. It may even be this morning. Just they come to this place. Enemies of you, not Christians, and we read today in just the holy word of God of ignorance of mind that just is darkened, it's futile, it's alienated from a life of God, Because of ignorance in mind and blindness in heart. And such were some of us. But God, we thank you, God, that while we were still sinners, you died for us. We thank you that you've pursued us. We. Thank you that you said, you come down. I'm going to your house today. We thank you that you've called us out of darkness, as we'll see next week, and into the light. And Lord, just some simple sins that almost every single one of us in this room would be condemned. Our lying, our half-truths, our mistruths, our silences when it's time to speak, our lack of care for the truth. Oh, Jesus, you are the truth, the way, the truth, and the life, God. Work out in us truth. Help us to obey you with truth. The stealing, Lord, the the downloading of things that aren't ours, the the kiping, the borrowing for forever. <laughs> Steal no longer. Lord help us to be productive, working and giving. Let our speech be pure, God. Let the words of our mouth and the meditation of our heart bless your name and edify our brother. Lord, no doubt in this room there are wounds, wounds of the heart, wounds to reputations, wounds to lives and to bodies and things that bring bitterness and anger and wrath and Just make us want to just speak evil and spread rumors and gossip and just cut people down that have wounded us and hurt us. And Lord, just today by your spirit, would you do a work in us that all we would have to do is just let those things be put away from us. We would just let them be put away from us, that you would put them away from us today. And work a proactive kindness and tenderness and forgiveness because Jesus, you are the example. You've forgiven us and we ought to forgive one another. Let's stand together. Let's just let these imperatives just push on us and drive us today. He's calling us to obey. That's not legalism. We're not made righteous by our obedience. That's already taken place by Jesus at the cross. Now he calls us to obey as a response to his goodness and love. Let's let him affect change in our hearts and in our minds today. We're going to have the elders come on up and the core group leaders come on up and they're going to be up front during this last song. And if you just, man, the Lord has just been hammering just sin in your life and just pointing it out and just showing it and you know the scriptures say that if we confess our sins he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness scriptures say that when we confess our sins there is healing and just if the Lord has just put his finger on things in your heart and he said these are things that you are a saint you are one of my holy people and this is I want this to end in your life I, wanna, I want you to let me take this out of your life. I want to change you. I want you to walk in holiness and in purity. You're a Christian. You're a saint. You're one of mine. It's time to live differently. And if the Lord's put just his finger on those things in your heart, why don't you come forward during this song, and you can come to your core group leader, you can come to one of the elders, and, uh, and we'll pray with you this morning as, uh, as you walk in the light as he is in the light.